Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings, people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Sovereign Lord and King. For the Lord is great. To be praised. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is the King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is also his. The sea is his, and he made it. His hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And we ask, God, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us in the plain paths uh, for your namesake. We pray, Lord, that as we gather and worship you, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would change us, Lord, and uh, that you would uh, help us to be more like you in this day. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. My sermon is called Mercy and Faithfulness in the Skies, Righteousness and Judgment on the Mountains and in the Seas. My text is from Psalm 36. I'm going to preach the whole psalm. It's not a long psalm. It's only 12 verses, uh, but I'm just going to read the verses 5 through 10 as my text. Psalm 36, starting in verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains, and thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. 
They shall abundantly be satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and they shall make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to this part of the service, especially that we long to hear your voice. And I pray that as I would preach your word and as we would hear it, Lord, that you would bless our hearing, that you would illuminate it, that you would begin by your Holy Spirit to teach us and to talk to us and to lead us and guide us how we might direct uh, our own lives and the lives of our families that we may glorify you. We pray that you would be with us, Lord, that you would have a supernatural visitation of your spirit with us now. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's very much competing for our attentions today uh, and every day. The eye that Solomon reminded us of that is never full uh, in Ecclesiastes uh, 1.8, and the ears that never hear enough to meet their appetite certainly have no lack in our age. There seems to be no end of video, of pictures, of movies and memes that stream to us through the World Wide Web. News is plentiful, head-turning Headlines draw us to what has happened at McDonald's in Texas or a nursing home in Washington State or at the White House just a few minutes ago. These things can certainly seep into our souls and they can even sway our hearts and minds whichever way the wind is blowing. And the psalmist, he was not immune to his own outlets of information. They just came in a different form from a messenger that would arrive at the palace or uh, advisors near him who had their ear to the ground and knew what was going on within his own kingdom. He also, as we know, could see over the wall of his palace and into the lives of others, and he watched what they did. No, no news travels as fast as bad news, and we'll see how what David was hearing was moving his heart. We'll also see where he found refuge from the torrents that assail him in his day and how we too can look unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Amen? Beloved, let me offer you yet another psalm that leads us to the same lovely truth And uh, as before we begin our walk through Psalm 1, uh, before we get through Psalm 36. I'm going to read to you Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes. Everybody say, I want to lift up my eyes. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from evil, and he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. You guys may be familiar with the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. 
O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light, though, for the look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm going to read Psalm 36 all the way through for you. Uh, before we get started and we go through this, and I'm sorry for these complications, but we're working it out. Psalm 36. I'm just going to read the whole psalm together. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. Notice these pronouns. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath let off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed, and he setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep O lord thou preservest man and beast how excellent is thy loving kindness O god therefore thy children of, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings they shall abundant be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house and thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures for with thee is the fountain of life and in thy light shall we see light O Continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen, and they are cast down, and shall not be able to rise. When we get to, when we begin to work through this psalm, um, Okay, I guess I'm just wanting to try to get this thing going, but I'm just I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to just do my best with my phone here. Okay, this is Matt's phone. Yeah, um, the psalm was written to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a servant of the Lord. Many versions that you have will not include this on there, even though that is part of the inspired text. It's yet another one of the Psalms of David. Uh, as we've already discussed uh, several times, he wrote over half of, which would be 75 of the Psalms. Some people say uh, more, maybe up to 78 or more. But in this Psalm, it mentions specifically that this is a Psalm of David. We see at the very beginning, there's a very direct introduction stating what has affected the psalmist and caused him to write the words of this song. It's when he beholds, okay? So how do you behold things? Everybody say, I behold them with my eyes. I behold them with my eyes. When he beholds the transgression of the wicked, it speaks in his heart saying, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So can you see the the picture here is of his eyes, what he's looking at, and in the eyes of the wicked, okay? Now, is this what happens to you when you hear of or when you see uh, 
sin, heinous sins talked about in the news or even spoke about among those people that you know? Does it remind you that those who willfully defy God's word do so because of their lack of fear of God? Is that what it does to you? God is to be feared. Now, fear per se is not a good thing to cultivate in general, but fearing God or teaching your children to fear God uh, is very much so a worthwhile thing. It, it, in fact, it is the very first reason any of us ever have to obey God. And there are uh, volumes of scriptures about this. I'm going to just read a few of them. Job 28, 28 says, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So here we have Job seeing that uh, the fear of God actually is wisdom itself. And when we listen to God's wisdom, the natural response of man is to depart from evil. That's why David is saying that there is no fear of God before their eyes. But that's what it says to his own heart, okay? Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. You can see in Job 28 here and in Psalm 111 the connection here of the fear of God and the obedience of his commandments. If you have a child and your child uh, willfully just does whatever they want and you're standing right there when they're doing it, there's a reason that, uh, for that. And the reason is, is they have no fear whatsoever of you. They don't fear your discipline. Uh, maybe that you have been too kind and too loving and too sweet and too merciful that you haven't cultivated in them the proper fear of you. Uh, and it is the beginning of wisdom to fear God and for those little children uh, to feel fear their parents. Obviously, as they grow up, what you're hoping is that, you know, when they're, you know, 18 years old, that they're doing what they're doing out of love for you and out of love for God and not out of fear of you. And so you have to make that transition. Proverbs chapter 15:33 says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, but honor comes before honor comes humility. We, when we approach God, when we approach those that God has given us to, uh, to lead us, we approach them in a humble way. And that is the fear of God. It's the fear of God to honor your elders. It's the fear of God to reverence your husband. It's the fear of God to honor your father and your mother. That's what the fear of God is. Why? Because you understand that there is no power given except it's given by God. Proverbs 10, 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Why will they be shortened? Because they're sinning. When people sin and live ungodly lives, when they break God's commands, you can bet that they will pay the piper at some point. They will, their lives will be cut short. I believe that's what is part of the promise in uh, the, the command to honor your father and mother, that your life may be long and that you may live long upon the earth. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. When we fear God, God, this is helping us to understand that God, the fearing God, we listen to what he says because God loves us 
And he says, don't go over there. Don't go. The reason why God says don't go over there is there's a pit that you're going to fall in. Don't involve yourself in this sin. Don't get involved in this thing. Why? God loves us, as it says, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. The commandments of God aren't just there as arbitrary rules so he can say, I'm sovereign, I say you're not allowed to do that. God's commands come out of love for us. He doesn't want us to steal. Why? Because if we steal and we are thieves, and everyone is stealing from everyone, then of course people are going to steal from who? They're going to steal from us. We'll have no property. You can't have a civilization where, imagine if every person, every time they went to bed, they got up and everything they had was gone the next day. Everyone was stealing from everybody. God understands that in order to have peace and to have love and to have kindness and to have society where we can have joy and we can, we can relax in it all, God understands that th these commands are a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. We fear God, and we obey the commands, and we're hoping that others fear God, and they obey the commands, and it's what gives us the ability to have peace. Isaiah 33.6 says, He will be the stability of your times a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, for the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord uh, doesn't exist in the eyes of the wicked. They are looking around. They might be afraid of the police. They might be afraid of the law, but they're certainly not afraid of God, and that's why when they, are, when they can get away with it, when they can break the law, when they cannot get caught, uh, they do whatever they want. But Isaiah 33, 6 explains that uh, if we want stability and wealth and salvation in our lives, that the fear of the Lord is our treasure. Proverbs 14, 26, this is the last one I'm going to add on this subject, that the fear of, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. And that's pointing us to the fact that when we fear the Lord, who are we not afraid of? We're not afraid of anyone else. So we are not afraid of men because we understand that God is who we should fear. Now, your first thought should be, it might be this, why does God not just kill people? When we see people doing wrong, we get angry. We see, look, they do wrong. They do wrong. They're doing, why does it? But, but I think what the psalmist is teaching us here, the first thing that it should be reminding us when we see people sin, is not, why shouldn't God kill them? But our better thought might be to remind us of how important the fear of the Lord is to us in our own lives. David said, when I see the wicked transgress, it says to my own heart, there's no fear of God before their eyes. You will see that David says that's what his heart ends up telling him. They don't have fear. But you'll see what it does is he understands and he is finally led through the psalm from thinking about the evil and worrying about their lack of fear of God and understanding the importance of having it for himself. This is what we oftentimes do in our life. We deflect uh, our own sinfulness by looking at others. The Bible says we're not just to look over at 
you know, Benjamin's sinfulness and forget about our own. What did Jesus remind us? Before we're worrying about the, the splinter in our brother's eye, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to first remove the beam from our own. And so our eyes need to be turned on God. And if they are turned uh, on sin, it should be our own sin. And we should be reminded that we need to have the fear of God. So this is kind of what he says in verse one, kind of a paraphrase here. When my eyes behold the sins of sinners, it reminds me that they do not fear God, although he sees them, but I should and I will fear God myself. Verse two. So what does the eagle, what does the evil man do? What does the wicked man do with his eyes? Verse two, he flatters himself in his own eyes. It says, verse two, he flatters himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Every man is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 21, two tells us, and there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12. But what it's telling us in addition to this is that that the wicked, he flatters himself with his own eyes, but eventually, you know what happens to him? He eventually becomes to despise himself. His hatred of himself will end up fueling him. You'll see this among ungodly people that they sin and they do what they want, but eventually they understand how wicked they are, and they become hateful even to themselves. And so they go around with a snarl on their face, and they go around angry. Why? Because the whole world, it's like the man, you know, I don't know if it's from one of the fables or whatever, but the man who had Limburger cheese uh, on his under his nose. And Limburger cheese is a super, super stinky cheese, and somehow he got it on himself and went around and he says, hey, the whole world, things. And, uh, and this is what happens. He, he sins, he does what he wants. And now he, uh, sees his own self in this thinkingness of his own sin. And he becomes bitter. This is where, this is the road where that sin leads to. That's what it's talking about here in verse two and verse three, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He has left off being wise to do no good. This is what the wicked is. And so David's eyes at first are on the wicked. He's reminded of how he doesn't fear God, but he's reminded he does need to fear God. He's reminded how in his own eyes he is justified and how uh, he thinks he's good. But eventually what happens is when he gives himself over to doing what he wants and he becomes self-willed, that he becomes bitter and he becomes nasty and his words are become filled with iniquity and deceit. He left, leaves off all wisdom, and he does no good, and he deteriorates. This is what happens to the life of the wicked. He doesn't go up and get better. He gets worse and worse. The wicked has abandoned wisdom and good works, and he has given himself over to sin and ungodliness. He divides mischief, verse 4, upon his bed, and he sets himself in the way that is not good, and he abhorreth not evil. When he is not doing evil, he is thinking of new ways to do evil, and he is given over completely to it. You can read about this man in Romans chapter 1, right? This man 
is become a reprobate. That's what the word reprobate means. A reprobate means not only does he do bad, but eventually he even stops feeling bad about what he does because all men at first do feel bad. They have a conscience in themselves that knows that they are breaking God's law and that they're doing wrong. But what happens is, is these men come to a reprobate mind and God turns them over, as it says in Romans chapter one. That's where the Bible says the sin of homosexuality and other sexual perversion comes from. It comes from God turning people over to just, all right, you want to sin? All right, you love evil. You love to break my commands. I'm going to remove your conscience and you are going to go from being a natural man, a man who's attracted to a woman, and you're going to be attracted to other men. What you're going to do is going to be harmful to you and sinful, and it's going to cause disease, and it's going to cause you to be very unsatisfied, and you're going to be, uh, you're going to turn into this, this very, very wicked, very miserable thing, uh, which is called a reprobate. And that is what David is working his way toward. He devised mischief upon his bed. He sets himself in a way that's not good. He abhorreth not evil. What he's, when he's not doing evil, he's thinking of it. Now, after reminding us of the end of the way of the ungodly, right, the chaff that the wind will one day drive away, David immediately turns his gaze, his eyes. He started off talking about uh, the eyes of the wicked and what he sees, but he turns his eyes here in verse 5 upward to the face of God. And this is my, this is why I included this in my readings, because as quick as we can, let's get away from what we shouldn't be looking at and what we should be looking at. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches to the clouds. I don't know if you know the song. I was trying to play it before the service began. Maybe we'll play it in the end, but it's your love, O Lord. Reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness stretches to the sky. I don't know if you know that song, but it's a beautiful song. Your righteousness is like a mighty mountain, and your justice flows to the ocean tide. And I will lift my voice. To worship you, my King. I will find my high praise in the shelter of your wings. It's a beautiful song, and that's what's happening here. David is moving from the ugliness of sin and the depravity of it and uh, of, of what comes and where sin leads us, and he begins to praise the Lord. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. And thy faithfulness reaches to the clouds. People of God, this is what we should do when the burdens of sin around us uh, begin to press upon us and to weigh us down and steal our joy. We are to look upon him, to turn our eyes and look upon Jesus. Look up, look up, people of God. Our redemption draws nigh. This is nothing less than a refrain of praise springing up like a well out of the heart of David. Thy mercy, O Lord is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the sky. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preserveth man and beast. And as you can see, I have read verses five and six together. Mercy and faithfulness in the skies. Righteousness and judgment on the mountains and in 
the seas. Oh, people of God, imagine if when we looked outside and we saw the trees, that's what we thought of. Imagine if we looked at a mountain vista, if it reminded us of that. And there's always plenty of that to see, whether you're looking on your computer or out your window. It's spring. You can go look at a flower. Me and some of the guys on here were fellowship earlier. We were talking about the glory of hummingbirds and uh, the blue jays and the cardinals, the cardinals in the snow and the the things we see out our windows, the, the, the glorious things that God has made. Turn your eyes to the hills, turn them to the heavens and the clouds, turn them to the mountains and the seas and see God's mercy, his faithfulness, his righteousness and judgment. Oh, people of God, it is a beautiful thing to behold. Turn your face away from wicked today. In the next few verses, David continues his song of praise. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men, they put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall abundantly be satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures. Oh, for with thee is a fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. Folks, I'm telling you right now, if you don't have these words memorized from this psalm, I pray that you do. These are incredible visions. It reminds me of Paul's admonition to the Philippians. We've been having such a good time uh, in our nightly teaching through the book of Philippians. But it reminds me in Philippians 4 where he says, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, if whatsoever things are pure, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things and the God of peace shall keep your hearts and minds. It reminds me of that. And if you want your mind and your heart be kept, look to the hills, look to the mountains, look to the streams and the fountains and see the goodness of God. That is what David is singing about here today. For with thee is a fountain of life and in thy light shall we see light. This is what our eyes this is what we want to see with our eyes. We don't need to concern ourselves so much with the wicked and what is going on around us. That changes from day to day, like the fickle emotions of a little child. But God is constant. He is unchanging, and he is indeed our fountain of life, the spring from which not only we drink, but those we meet will drink from. Amen? Remember Jesus in Jerusalem in uh, John chapter 7 on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles? You remember this? Remember how the priest would go? over to that pool that I've been to, the pool of, of Siloam, and, and they, would, uh, they would draw water out of that, and they would bring a big bunch of that water over to the temple, and they would pour it out as a libation to God, and they would do this every day, but on the very last day, they get a lot more of it on the last day, and they pour it all out, but then at the end of that last day, that water was representing the Messiah because the pool of Siloam was called the Messiah Pool. On the last day, Jesus gets up when all of their water's been poured out. On the day the priests have circled uh, the, the, the altar seven times as they poured out this water, and they even poured out wine. And, and as they poured it all out, Jesus stood on the great day of the feast in John seven thirty seven and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The rivers of pleasure flow from the house of God and the people of God providing life and light for the healing of the nations. Here, not only do we see God's 
light, but the light of the world. We too become that light, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid as we, by our good works, the works that we were ordained for, glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Here in verse 10, David cries out to the Lord for his never-ending love for him and all who fear and know him. Oh, he says, verse 10, oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. David here in verse 11 prays for God's preserving power to possess him and to keep him. Nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing Nothing can remove us from the hand of God. He holds tightly to his people and nothing shall separate us from his love. Paul reminded the Romans in Romans chapter eight, who shall separate us? He asked them the question to remind them because they knew the answer. Who? Everybody say nobody. Everybody say who? Who? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall peril and sword? Shall shall plague that comes upon the United States and on the world? Shall pandemic? Shall financial uncertainty? Who shall? What shall? No one shall. Nothing shall. It is written in verse 36 of Romans chapter 8. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Even that's not going to separate us from the love of God. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus himself said it this way in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. No one can pluck us out of God's hand. Can we say that? Amen. No one can pluck us out of God's hand, but the ungodly will be plucked up. They will be thrown into the fire. They shall be scattered in ashes like the chaff and driven away, but the righteous shall endure forever. Verse 12 ends the psalm when he said, there are the workers of iniquity. They are fallen. They are cast down and they shall not be able to rise. Let me read the psalm for you one more time from beginning to end and hear this refrain of praise from the psalmist David, a man after God's own heart. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. He flattereth himself with his eyes and his iniquity to be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off being wise and he is doing no good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He sets himself in the way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Oh, but thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall abundantly be satisfied with the fatness of thy house and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Oh God, let us drink deeply today 
for with thee is a fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me, because he never could. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. People of God, let us pray. And after we pray, when I'm done praying, Jonathan, will you go ahead and just push play on that if it'll work? And let's just listen to that song for just a minute as we revel in the glory of Psalm 36. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for giving us a day to lift you up and to proclaim your word and to be reminded that indeed, your mercy and faithfulness can be seen in the skies, your righteousness and judgment on the mountains and in the seas. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus today that we would turn our eyes away from the wicked and turn them unto you, that we would behold your goodness and your mercy and your kindness, Lord, and that we would rejoice in it today that we cannot be taken from your hand, that nothing can separate us from you, and that you indeed preserve your people. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.